With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for WDD, yeah! His comments! Thank you for listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast, where life in League One is providing moments of magic and madness in equal measure as uh, Paul Warren gets grips gets to grips with his new side, battling to keep pace with the promotion favourites. Uh, what a ridiculous pair of games we've had since we last spoke to you. A calamitous collapse at home to Port Vale, followed by one hell of a reaction which saw Aki thumped as the Rams saw off Stanley 3-0. I'm Chris Parsons. Hello. I'm going to get the cliche klaxon in early this week, Richard Kutcher, because as ever with Derby County, it's never boring, is it? No, definitely not boring. It was an absolutely fantastic game to watch. I was watching it on Rams TV on Saturday. I will come on to those particular two and a half minutes, but it was a fantastic game of football, I thought, from beginning to end. A couple of really, really good goals from Derby and uh, yeah, no no sort of drama as well. Anton, uh, Anton Martin's here as well. Hi, mate. Is League One just going to be this mad all season, do you think? Because I'm not sure my blood pressure can handle this long term. I think under Paul Warren, yes, it is. Um, I think we've seen, I, I mean, I can't believe it's only been three league games under Warren so far, given the, the number of ups and downs we've had in those three games. But given how committed we are to getting men forward and hitting teams on the counter, uh, it's so end-to-end at times. It's going to be pretty chaotic from, from this point onwards. Chaos isn't always bad, I would say. Um, Accrington, Stanley, nil, Derby County, three then. I'll chuck in a few five-word reviews for you all before we uh, get onto the meaty stuff in this podcast. Uh, A few reactions from our listeners on Twitter. Nigel Lee said, where's my blood pressure tablets? Graeme Richley said, hard work brings you luck. Borough Ram on Twitter said, Rossini's Rams return empty-handed, which I think is a very good point. Pete Lee, Huckner Ram on Twitter, one of our patrons, he said, drinking John Coleman's salty tears. Uh, Rob on Twitter, he said, getting better by the game. And Andrew Woodman said, two strikers who can score. And the lastly for now is from John, a classic only child on Twitter, who said, in summing up the game, goal, pano, pano, goal, whistle, which uh, <laughs> does and doesn't do the game justice. But you wait four games for an away goal as Derby County fans this season in League One, then you get five in two games. And it looks like the Rams might have a new cult hero. Rasula takes it emphatically. (laughs) 
for his first Derby <laughs> County goal. Well done, Chris. Firstly, how seamless is that audio? Um, absolutely textbook. I mean, um, I'm going to go early, Kutch, with the uh, clarifications and corrections on this pod because I uh, I wrongly, as a few people pointed out, tweeted a picture of the Norwegian flag when uh, Asula scored, when he is quite literally very Danish. So apologies there. Got that one wrong. I think also you and Tom also owe me an apology as well because i i distinctly remember at cambridge i whispered into your ear have we got the league one harland <laughs> and i mentioned it in passing i mentioned it in passing on the pod two weeks ago and you all laughed at me and i backed down but i will emphasize league one harland but i think we also i think i also said norwegian two weeks ago so i do apologize for the for that mix-up as well well this is what i was going to say i mean two things those two flags are quite similar in my head at least so i think that you know that's one reason and secondly I had your stupid comparison in my head the whole time, which is what's just, just got this erroneous thought in my mind. But look, after this weekend, it's pretty clear, Kutch, we could have a real player on our hands here, couldn't we? Well, he looks a handful. He looked a handful when he came on against Cambridge without us getting the chance to really see the end product. He had a couple of half chances um, away at Cambridge, but the way he took those two goals, I guess we'll talk them through individually, but it was emphatic. It was really emphatic. The, 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 the strength of the way he hit the ball. And of course, he was finding corners as well. And it's not going to work that well from every single game, I'm sure. He's not going to be that He's not going to be the League One Harlan in terms of that prolific nature, but he's certainly a weapon in this division. And if we can get balls over the top and get balls in the right places for him to chase down, and he, you know, he's a big, strong lad, him and Collins or him and Dobbin are going to give defences a lot to think about. Yeah, I mean, the, the most pleasing thing about it was was the timing of it as well, because we were we were all debating how much we would miss James Collins in the, in the build-up to the game, having seen him hit form and, and bag some goals in, in the previous games. But to have two strikers with the ability to to do that, play that role, holding it up up top, and, and also with that finishing ability, means that we're not always reliant on Collins. It's a long season, and also given the way that Paul Warren wants to play, Collins isn't going to be able to play ninety minutes every single game. And obviously, with his suspension lasting another couple of games, we're going to need someone else to fill those shoes. And, and Asula looks like he could be the man to do that. Well, Coach, I mean, you're going back to your Highland shout, which may have seemed slightly uh, hyperbolic uh, last week against Cambridge. But the man himself, to be fair, Asula was getting in on the axe with the comparisons himself as he uh, he was talking to BBC Radio Derby's uh, Dom Dietrich. And he actually said that he looks up to the Brazilian Ronaldo in terms of the player that he bases his game on. He told him he can do it all, left foot finish, right foot finish, dribble and skills. I mean, firstly, I'm going to put it out there that I'm, I'm absolutely delighted that we've got like a 19-year-old striker who like knows his football history, you know, who, <laughs> yeah. uh, who, who bases his game on a player who wasn't even born when he was arguably hitting his peak. But Anton, look at his first goal, Asula against Accrington. Great touch, brilliant step over, out of his feet, bang, bottom corner, I mean, that was straight out like the R9 playbook, wasn't it? That first goal. I was going to say exactly the same thing. That, that step over, how many times did we see Ronaldo do that past the goalkeeper? If he can do that and take it past the goalkeeper, he is, uh, he is R9 reincarnated. But just him referencing Ronaldo shows the confidence that he's got. And I think that confidence was reflected in those finishes yesterday. I mean, we, we often see young strikers um, at, at Derby and other teams kind of come into the team and have all of this potential, but sometimes snatch at the, at the goals that they're so desperate for in their first starts. But 
I mean, he showed so much confidence and so much calmness in those positions. It was it was incredible to see. I, I actually pr- probably preferred his his second goal slightly, even though the first one had uh, had rings of uh, Ronaldo. The the second goal, the way he kind of took it with, with not a huge amount of time, I and mean, he he started probably a good two or three yards behind the defender, which really showed that the pace and power that he brings to to the Derby front line and the way he got in front of the defender only had one touch really um, before the finish to to bring down a bouncing ball and then to keep it down. I mean, how many times do you see that go ballooning over the bar? But he, he had defenders closing in on him for, from both sides, but he didn't panic and absolutely gave the keeper no chance at all. So really great to see and, and two brilliant goals. I think as well, like once he gets it with that pace, as you say, Anton, he obviously he, he rinsed them for pace and because of his strength and size and his pace, once he's the wrong side of a defender they're not going to be able to get around him apart from fouling him so he's going to be an absolute I imagine he's going to pick up a lot of free kicks and a lot of penalties as he's driving in or gets behind someone because it's going to be really hard to kind of get the ball off him once he's ahead of you and the way he took that finish the second one it was such a confident finish on on kind of on the bounce wasn't it to drill it past the keeper it was just hit so hard and the first one I love it when a goal when they when a player shoots and it hits the inside of the side netting I think that's always really pleasing when it really smashes into the inside of a side netting I'm not sure how you, how many keepers you think Chris this time, but I think two or three keepers would have struggled to keep keep both of those goals out. Yeah, I, I say a minimum two. I reckon. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about those goals a little bit more in, in in a few minutes, but we cannot talk about this game without the madcap, manic, ridiculous three minute spell towards the end of that first half, uh, which saw Accrington miss two penalties. I did put this out on Twitter. Like, literally, can anyone remember a derby game? which involved both sides missing two penalties between them, let alone one by the same side in three, two or three minutes. And I think the closest I got is that someone came back and reckoned that Cremonese missed two penalties against us in the Anglo-Italian Cup final, which was <laughs> maybe sometime in the early 90s. I, think, I want to say 94, someone might be wrong on that, but it was literally like Derby County history that we witnessed against Accrington. I mean, look, the two penalties, basically a case of one that was and one that wasn't really uh, similar mm. to, to the Port Vale game in that sense. I think there was one that was and one that wasn't. Which one do you think wasn't? Uh, against Accrington, the the first one I, I thought wasn't, and the second one was a complete stonewaller, I thought. But I haven't seen a good angle of the first one. I haven't, I haven't really seen... I mean, Barkhausen and Bird get really mixed up. They really screw up, actually, and let, let the defender kind of slide between them. And... I think it's a little bit unlucky the way that Bird takes out the other player who's then coming in, but I haven't seen anything to show me that it wasn't a penalty, I don't think, unless some answer seems like different. But on the second one, the only question is whether it was outside the box or inside the box. If it was outside the box, Curtis Davis would have been sent off, I think, the way the rule works. So in hindsight, it was good it was inside the box. He wasn't sent off and they missed a penalty. I just I just thought it was, um, I don't know, the first one just felt to me like even one of those that wouldn't get given as a foul in other parts of the pitch, it just looked like he ran into him. It just looks completely an accidental collision, which I guess can technically be a pen. But I mean... Anton, what was your take on it? Were you the same as Kutch there that you, you weren't quite sure about the first, but happy with the second? I'm I'm with Kutch actually on the on the first one. My gut instinct when I saw it first time round was that it was a penalty because he, he did dangle his leg out and he definitely caught the player. I think the only thing that might have saved him was whether he got a little piece on the ball, but we didn't get a good enough angle on the camera to give a decisive view of that. I, I think the... 
the thing that probably made it frustrating for the, the Derby fans was the time it took the officials to make a decision. But actually, I'm not always against that because I'd, I'd rather officials take their time and, and make a correct decision and, and have enough time to, to ponder it and maybe communicate amongst each other um, rather than rush into a decision and, th- and then regret it. So although it was a little bit of a strange scenario, I can understand why that's given as a penalty. Yeah, I mean, whichever way you look at it, we've used up a fair amount of our luck for this season, I think. And I said on Twitter that I don't want to hear anyone complain about us being unlucky for the rest of the season because after McConville misses for the second time, 14 seconds and six touches of the ball later, the ball's in the back of the Atkinson net. I mean, I think Kutch, have you ever seen anything like that passage of play between, what was it, 37 and 40 minutes at the weekend? Well, the thing I was actually just talking about talking about this to a friend of mine, a non-Derby County uh, friend of mine. They do exist. And uh, he, he said the thing that sounded most like was obviously the uh, Watford-Leicester City playoff semi-final where Leicester City missed a penalty and Watford got up the other end. And I think it's Troy Deeney that uh, belts it into the back of the net within probably like 15 seconds. Now, that was a much more dramatic event because it was a playoff semi-final and it was it, it turned the tie on its head that wasn't two penalties missed but the fact it was one penalty missed and straight down the other end the other one I'm not sure because obviously it was a long time ago but 1999 FA Cup semi-final Ryan Giggs and didn't didn't Peter Michael say the penalty and pretty much straight away my memory is that straight away Giggs went up the other end and scored that weldy but I don't know if it actually was there was quite a few minutes in between and just from memory, it seems like it was from it. But the Leicester City-Watford one is the one that springs to mind. But let's talk about Joe Wellsmith for a second because, yeah, the first penalty was soft and he guessed the right way, but he did go the right way. And the second one, for some reason, the same the same skipper was taking the penalty again. Wellsmith gets in his head, goes the right way, and he, and he forces him to put it further wide and it, and it goes wide of the goal. So uh, I thought it was another great triumph of, of a performance all round, actually, from, from Joe Wellsmith. I thought he caught almost everything not quite everything just as I was praising him on the WhatsApp group he, he's fluffed a corner but he thought he was solid commanding and whether he saves the penalty or the penalty's missed I think you still got to give credit to the goalkeeper for uh, doing his job I did massively enjoy Anton his uh, his little boyish little grin when he saved that first penalty as if to say like I know that was shit but I still went the right way and saved it um, and then the second one just the scenes behind the goal I mean the thing is that you know the scenes look fantastic in that away end when the second penalty went wide can't imagine what it must have been like 15 seconds later when Asula belts it in the bottom corner. Extraordinary stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. And, and you you sent a great still photo to our uh, WhatsApp group of the view of after that second penalty, just picking out faces in the crowd um, who are kind of looking on in disbelief and, and ecstasy in, in equal measures. So it was uh, it was pretty unbelievable. Going back to the, your your original question around other games which have rivaled that, I, I was struggling to think of anything from a, a derby perspective. The only one that came close was completely at the other end of the spectrum from an enjoyment perspective. And that was the Stuart Atwell East Midlands derby, that infamous kind of last few minutes where we we had two goals disallowed, penalty miss, and have hated Stuart Atwell ever since. Obviously, we don't want to reflect on that too too much more. But the enjoyment from, from yesterday was was kind of pretty unreal, to be honest. I, I hadn't realised it was only 14 seconds between penalty two and, and the goal. Well, it was 14 seconds when the ball was in play. Like in actual real time, it was just under a minute. It's about 55 seconds. But after Wildsmith launches it upfield, Kutch, it's like headed back. Then Curtis just sort of heads it and then lumps it. And I mean, as Anton said, I reckon Anton's being a bit unfair on the Sula. I reckon he's even possibly four or five yards behind 
the Accrington defender when Curtis launches it. But it's it's just such a great goal to see because it shows the anticipation to get on his bike straight away. Then it's just the, the, the raw acceleration over the first five yards keeps up the pace. And then has he got the composure to take the chance and bury it? And yeah, he showed everything that he'd want from the sort of from a striker in his position in that first and second goal didn't he he did and I think you know obviously because he scored the first goal as he's going through the second time you're way more you're so confident he's going to bury it as soon as I saw him going through and he's ahead of his man and the ball's bouncing he's right in the middle of the goal and he just felt like it was absolute certainty he was going to bury it because he's already scored that goal before which he finished with with so much certainty as well but it's, it's great even just Curtis Davis lobbing the ball up you know it was just left footed hooked up in the air because Derby were under the cosh it was crazy everyone had lost their heads and Curtis Davis was like just get this ball out of here I think which Isola turned into a fantastic ball and that's one of the themes of of the team in the last few weeks under Paul Warren like a bit like the James Collins first goal at Cambridge you know turning a an average or bad ball into into a good ball just from sheer will uh, and power I was going to reference the the James Collins first goal against Cambridge because it was very similar but what's been quite nice to see with this Paul Paul Warren approach is that We've been able to get it forward in different ways. The ideal scenario for us is, is to get it on the floor and, and counter-attack with pace, with men running on the ball to, to bring others out wide into play. But if we're under the caution and need to get it away, we haven't dilly-dallied on the ball and given it away in our, our own third. We've got it clear and that's actually led to, to two goals given mistakes in the opposition back line. Yeah, I mean... Loads of really positive performances to, to reflect on. Kutcher's rightly hailed Wildsmith there, who was really solid for, for, again, this, again, at the weekend. And Sibley was so great as I flagged myself, like really got us up the pitch well. And even someone like Dobbin, like I felt, works really hard in the channels and got beyond and, and stretched the defenders and worked tirelessly for the whole game. Probably should have been more, really. I know Atkinson's manager, John Coleman, claims that uh, they battered us for half an hour. I don't know what game he was watching. And he just seemed incredibly bitter about the whole experience, not for the first time. But you, you watch the highlights again. And I mean, Asula could have had a hat-trick from Mendes Lang's cross. Max Bird hit the post. Cash in missed a free header. There were four, five, six chances that Derby had to, to make it a, a much more comprehensive scoreline than it was. But Kutch, who really stood out for you apart from... Asula in terms of man of the match against Accrington. I thought James Tress had another solid game. I thought Curtis Davis was good after he struggled a little bit in the first 30 minutes. But um, I thought Louis Sibley in the middle of the park was was fantastic. I thought it was the more the most kind of all action performance we've seen from him. He was so involved in the game. The amount of times he, I'd love to see the statistics. The amount of times he carried the ball and the yardage of how much he carried the ball, you know, at his feet. It was almost like having another Jason Knight in there actually in terms of getting us up the pitch and and really making things happen. And when he's actually running forward and he's got defenders backing off him he's really hard to deal with the way he set himself up for the shot which led to the Barkhausen goal was kind of summed up I thought his whole game he did that numerous times where the defenders just were just wrong footed because he can go either way Louis Sibley I just thought he really benefited from a really open game and he was everywhere uh, for the first time obviously since that Millwall game when he scored the hat trick was the first time we'd seen him really embrace a role in the team and him being on set pieces I thought probably gave him a lift as well and his set pieces were brilliant all the way through the game so it just felt like he was a real part of the team a real part of the system which suited him so I'd love to see him in the, in the midfield three more often Yeah Sibley was really interesting actually because I, I did wonder a little bit how he would fit in and, and where he would slot into this Paul Warren system 
slotting into that midfield three yesterday, did wonder whether it would be a little bit lightweight with him, Knight and Bird. But actually, um, they, they took to the challenge really well. And, and what we found with the counter-attacking style of Bourne Warren is, is getting people on the ball and being able to run at pace and beat players is absolutely key. Mendes Lang is obviously um, a great example of that. And Jason Knight coming into the midfield has been crucial as well. But Louis Sibley has got that ability. And, and when we've seen him get on the ball and have the confidence to beat players, that's where he really comes into his, his best. So having the option of that especially against weaker opposition where we're likely to get on the ball a little bit more is, is going to be a, a great option to have. And and I mean, the midfield three now is becoming really competitive. I don't know how you pick a, a three out of those uh, guys, especially once uh, we get players back from injury. So it's, it's going to be healthy competition, but but really nice to see. I would just say honorary mention as well to, to Backhausen and, and Mendes Lang, as you mentioned there, Anton. I thought, I thought that was a more effective game so far as, as wing-backs. I thought Mendes Lang, you know, both driving inside and driving out wide was really effective. Backhausen covered so much of the pitch and I thought it was really nice he was able to play up front for the last 10 minutes to then get that goal. It shows that, you know, having really attacking wing-backs can work. I'm still, I still think the jury's out. I think there's going to be games where we get found out a bit defensively with those two as wing-backs, but I thought yesterday was a, a vast improvement all of their all round game and their positioning on when to go forward and when to stay than, than previous matches. So I thought that was encouraging. I, I still think we're lacking an alternative to, to Mendes Lang on the right when maybe he needs to be rested or he's injured because he will need to be rested at some point. Playing that role is, is demanding and I think we already need to manage him a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what other solutions we come up with as a, a right wing back option. We wouldn't want to see Jason Knight found out there again, I don't think. But as Anton says, the midfield is incredibly competitive and lots of different types of players as options. Yeah, the midfield's competitive and plenty of things to think about for Paul Warren up top as well. I mean, Anton, look, we've got four strikers who could arguably all make a case that they should be starting. Like James Collins is in the goals. We knew he would be eventually, but he's suspended right now. Dobbin has worked really hard, got off the mark in the cup recently uh, in the EFL Trophy. Asula, we've just talked about him for 20 minutes. And McGoldrick, who you know brings something, you know has that guile and experience. And Paul Warren does seem to favour two up top and has done this season. So firstly, does Asula keep the shirt for you against Man City's kids in the week and Ipswich away on Friday? And secondly, what for you is the uh, is the first choice long-term front two partnership for the rest of the season? I think for me, he has to start against Ipswich next Friday. Tuesday is a bit more of an interesting one because with Collins out and Didzy still kind of getting back up to, to full fitness, I wonder whether he would want to risk Asula on on Tuesday so we may see a slightly different front line on Tuesday I'm not sure what we'll go with obviously Sobolski's gone gone out on loan now so he he's not an option um, but it'll be interesting to see what he plays in terms of our best front four now I mean if Asula continues like he did yesterday for the next couple of games he's going to give Warren a real selection headache when Collins comes back I I don't think you can play both of those two up front together because I think you need a foil alongside them but having the options as as I mentioned earlier is 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 a really nice problem to have. The high energy system is going to need rotation, especially for the likes of Collins and McGoldrick who are getting on in their career. They won't be able to play that high energy system at all times. I've really liked 
Lewis Dobbin um, alongside them. I, I think he provides that extra bit of running. And I, th- I think he hasn't had the praise that he's perhaps deserved in, in the last few games. Um, obviously, Collins and Asula have got the plaudits, rightly so, for, for scoring the goals that have won us the game. But I don't think they get many of those chances and get in the positions they have without the running that Dobbin does off the ball. He really stretches play. And when we're coming up against teams where we're looking to counter-attack and, and kind of stretch the play as much as possible. I think Dob- Dobbin's going to be a really important option to play alongside them um, when when it's kind of a little bit tighter and a little bit more difficult to get through then McGoldrick's going to be the person who will be able to unlock those defences. But it's nice to have a few different combinations for sure. I think, uh, yeah, I agree with Anton. Another couple of weeks, Dobbin could have got two or three goals in this in this sequence of games very easily. Yeah, he had a good chance yesterday. There was a couple of times where he could have been slot on, slotted in and he wasn't actually to lead up to Bird hitting the post Asuda could have flipped around and played Dobbin in Dobbin was frustrated then Bird almost buries it but as Anton said I think you can play a combination all of those four in different combinations of two I think yeah, if you look at it very simply you could say okay well McGoldrick and Asula is one partnership and Collins and Dobbin is another partnership you could you could split it that way if they're both fit all the time and, and rotate them in and out very reminiscent of the York Cole showing them Solskjaer kind of axes in the in United treble winning season but at the same time you can play Collins and McGoldrick together and we saw Dobbin and Asuna do a good job together uh, as the two youngsters against Akron Stanley so if they can all stay fit and by having options you're more likely to keep them fit because if they reckon McGoldrick's on the edge they can take him out if they reckon Collins on the edge they can take him out and Asuda and Dobbin are both going to go through ups and downs in form because they're young players and that's what happens so I think it's great to have those options and Asuda's got to start against Ipswich on Friday so I definitely wouldn't be starting him on Tuesday. I presume that Chris Collins's ban includes the EFL trophy on Tuesday. So that means he is actually back after the Ipswich game, which is good because I hadn't kind of factored in the EFL trophy match, which means he's only missing for two league games. Or is it three is it a three match league ban? We should probably check that, but not sure. Yeah, we'll have to look into that it's one. It's not normally it's not normally league. It's normally including domestic cups. So if, if the EFL trophy counts as domestic cup, which I imagine it does, then he's not available. If it doesn't count, then you, Collins obviously starts on Tuesday night because he needs game time. Don't forget that uh, you can help support the podcast and get more extra stuff from us on the Steve Bloomers Washing Patreon this season. You can get bonus content, uh, videos, extra podcasts and more and uh, competitions and a welcome pack just for signing up. Plus, you do help to keep Steve Bloomer's washing going. So uh, we know times are tough, it's difficult, but for as little as three quid a month, you can uh, help us out and support the pod. So if you like what we do, then head over to patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's washing to sign up. Lewis with his left foot to swirl it in, Leacock forward, McEverly forward. Hi there, we county fans. I'm Branko Struper, and you are listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Our friends at Derby Brewing are delighted to announce the opening of their seventh pub, the Pointing Dogs in Matlock. As you'd expect, there's a great range of ales, craft beers, cocktails and artisan spirits, 
along with fresh, modern pub food with a contemporary twist. The pub also has a restaurant with river views, a hideaway bar and a riverside terrace. And don't forget that members of the Steve Bloomers Washing Patreon can claim a free drink in any Derby Brewing venue. So pay them a visit now. A few more uh, five-word reviews on the uh, Accrington Triumph before we crack on. Um, some of these from the uh, SBW Patreon Discord group. Uh, Chris Getty, one of our patrons, he said, new weird start scoring away. Andy Northedge, he said, a home away from home. Alex Harker, he came in with uh, absolute chaos, then surprising control. And uh, Stephen Bosworth, he said, we've worn two away now. See what he's done there, Kutch? You getting that one? It's good, isn't it? <laughs> he's nodding. Um, yeah, very good. <laughs> a solid eight out of ten. We, we like a bit of pun work on SBW. And a few more from Facebook just before I crack on as well. Let's drop some of these in. So we've got uh, Dave Shaw. He said on our Facebook group, great, but work in progress. Jason Ives said, Derby Academy Products boss midfield. And just finally, Sam Beresford said, please stop conceding penalties. <laughs> and so, amen to that. I wanted to kick off the, uh, the second half by flagging some of the build-up for Derby's first goal against Accrington because uh, Asula gets deplored it because it's a brilliantly taken finish. But it's a long diagonal ball. And the way that Mendes Lang just waits for the, draws the defender in, waits for him to make the mistake and then just like takes it in his stride and he's off. And as soon as that Agrington defender makes that mistake, it like opens the whole pitch up and like we've suddenly got him on a back foot with players in dangerous positions. And like, it just got me thinking that that is like what League One is really. It's just a division where you just have to make fewer state mistakes than the opposition. I mean, look, I know making fewer mistakes and you have the opposition is what football is fundamentally all about but in this division the standard is lower I mean that there are lots of technically good players but the the football isn't as high a quality there are more mistakes and we've seen recently that those mistakes and lack of concentration like change games you know like Plymouth at home it's a mistake from cash in that the gifts them their winner effectively Collins's first goal against Cambridge defensive mistake Port Vale in, in Warren's first home game the other week, you know, two stupid penalties that we gave away partly cost us the game. And the thing that I wanted to ask you both about, the thing I like about Warren's style and the way that he's got us playing is that we seem to be trying harder to force mistakes out of other teams, you know, like whereas before under Rossini, like we'd sort of um, build up more patiently and, and like give opponents more time to get back into shape. You know, under Warren, we don't seem afraid to like, you know, toss it into a to an area, like make defenders defend, like ask them difficult questions, get us up the pitch quickly. And I mean, Anton, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. It's, it's a bit chaotic at times, I think we've seen, but I feel that this new style that we're adopting under the new manager is bringing us more positives than negatives over the course of the season. Yeah, for sure. You say mistakes are, are the main difference between teams at the moment. I'm, I'm, I know mistakes have certainly played a part. I would actually say that the finishing has probably been the main difference. And, and that's where we've seen the quality of the Derby players really shine through. There have been plenty of mistakes defensively at, at both ends. And for all of Derby's positives that we've seen under Warren in recent games. I think defensively, Warren and, and team will definitely be looking to address that and cut out those mistakes because 
against better opposition, we would have been punished in, in several of those games. I mean, even without the penalties, there have been chances. The chance which hit the bar yesterday should be scored really by by any other team. There are also chances for Cambridge as well when we won 2-0. So we definitely need to tighten up that because against better opposition, um, we could easily have, have gone kind of a goal down or even lost some of those games. But yeah, as you say, the, the style of play is is much more direct. So it's causing defences to to deal with it. And, and we've seen at this level, especially against some of the opposition we've played so far, it's not always possible and it does lead to chances. And when you've got the likes of James Collins and Asulu up front, that's going to lead to goals. I think as well, um, I think you're kind of both right. I mean, obviously, forcing mistakes is good, but you've got to have the players to capitalise on those mistakes. And Derby, as we've mentioned before on the pod, do have generally better players than most other teams in those attacking positions that we are more likely to capitalise on mistakes. I also think that Paul Warren is playing percentages, right? His style of football is playing more percentages. Now, we've seen elite-level football at the very top, even to a degree in the Championship, definitely Premier League and, and other you know football leagues around the world and international football is much lesser about percentages than it used to be, you know, in terms of if you hit enough balls forward into the channel, enough of them will be good that you'll get on the end of them and create something. Like, we're forcing teams to play in their own half rather than us having the ball in our own half and slowly working out the pitch. And there was benefit benefits to Rossini's approach and there are benefits to Warren's approach. It, it seems it's early days. It seems like Warren's approach is way more suited to this level of football. But if you make opposition's defences really think about a bouncing ball, whether to challenge for it, whether to try and outmuscle the striker, if they can outmuscle the striker, if they can beat the striker for pace, like we've already in the last few games had more chances in terms of us going through you know, open on goal. You know, the chances under Rossini, we really had to work. It felt like we had to work doubly hard to create clear-cut chances, whereas under Warren, it seems like we've been able to open teams up. You know, both your Suda goals are good examples of that. Asuda managed to isolate a defender and beat him and get a shot away the second time he gets in behind. Collins has got in behind as well. So it just feels like the more direct approach is just forcing more opportunities, whether it's through a mistake or through good play, because the Mendes-Lang setup, as you say, Chris, is is absolutely quality. And there's, there's not that many players, I think, in this division that could have had that good first touch and opened the whole pitch up and driven in and found the ball. It will be interesting to see how we set up against Ipswich next week and and some of the other games which are coming up against better opposition in this league because it seems so far under Warren we've we've kind of tried to make it into a bit of a straight shootout of the strikers we've we've committed a lot of men forward and especially those wing back roles have been really important in in doing that we've we've made sure they're they're pushing up high it has led to quite a number of gaps especially in wide positions and we have conceded a lot of crosses and a lot of opportunities from the kind of edge of the the, the side of it, each um, side of the area so it'll be interesting to see whether we kind of follow that same approach against better opposition who will have better strikers who are, are more likely to take those chances because I feel like at the moment against the weaker opposition in the league we back our strikers to score more than their strikers in those positions we certainly saw that yesterday we saw it against Cambridge and I feel like if we if we set up that way, we'll probably win eight out of ten times against that kind of opposition. But it's not going to be the same story against Ipswich and, and the likes. Absolutely. Tough games to come. I mean, how do you both see the, the formative League One table? Like, you know, we, we're basically more than a quarter of the way through the League One season now. So it seems like a fair time to be able to take a look at, at the standings. I think things are loosely starting to 
settle. I, I mean, looking at it myself, we're, we're fine. We're doing absolutely fine. Like I never expected us to to piss a league by any stretch, but I did think we would be competitive. I thought we'd be top half easily. So we're basically exactly where I thought we'd be really in circumstances, which is fine. And looking above us, Kutch, you know, like Plymouth are looking pretty ominous. Like they've won 11 out of 14. I think they're already five points clear of third. Ipswich riding high as well, who Derby have got, um, as we said, in the week. Whereas Derby are ninth at the moment, but we do have games in hand, at least a game in hand on everyone in the top half except Portsmouth, who bizarrely have three games in hand on everyone. I don't know how that's happened, but it seems to me by early December, we will have played Ipswich away, Portsmouth away and Sheffield Wednesday at home. I've got a few more winnable games in between those, but I think it's probably fair to say by Christmas, we should know what Paul Warren's Derby are about, really, shouldn't we? Like, we should have a pretty decent gauge on what expectations can be for the season, even with a transfer window the month after. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, it's always tempting to look at those games in hand and just add on, you know, three points times two and take us right up to the, you know, just below, just below Sheffield Wednesday. But we're going at just under two points a game at the moment. So, really, realistically, we put ourselves on 23 points, maybe, and then we'd be fourth but Pompey have games in hand as well so Ipswich away is going to be pretty big as you say Portsmouth away is going to be pretty big both those games on Friday nights on on television so we, we will have a better idea I said earlier in the season and after Paul Warren was appointed I think that as long as we're kind of in touch with well in the six in the top six or in touch of the top six or even maybe in touch with the top two within six or seven points if we could have a good window maybe bring in a right wing back or strengthen where we think we need to strengthen, then I only really expect Paul Warren's style to get more effective with this group of players as they get more used to it. The squad has everything it needs to really compete in the, in the top six and maybe higher. So it's all about how many points I think can we pick up? Can we stop the top three or four really running away from us? I expect us to have a really strong second half of the season. I think the squad is strong enough as long as he can keep those key experienced players away from serious injuries or long layoffs then I think the, the squad is strong enough to compete throughout the season. If we can just avoid losing to to both Ipswich and Pompey, maybe pick up a couple of points or a win in those two away games, I think that will set us up really nicely. With Ipswich away in mind, it's got to be second string against Man City's kids in the week, surely. I, mean, I know we haven't played an EFL trophy for a while but look, we've got to do everything we can to avoid losing that game, haven't we? Yeah, it has to be, especially given that the Ipswich games on Friday night as well it's a pretty quick turnaround um, it's going to be a an interesting test against Ipswich next week they're obviously one of if not the favourites for the league this year we're still not at our best it's hard to tell how far we are from our best um, given that it's a it's a brand new system and and still a relatively new team They've picked up the the approach very well in, in Warren's first few games, but I think we'll really see how well this system and, and how well Paul Warren's approach will work for, for Derby County against the likes of Ipswich and, and Portsmouth. If we can pick up some points against those teams, then we can start getting excited because it's it's not the games against Accrington and, and Cambridge that are going to get you promoted. It's the games against your promotion contenders that, that make the difference between finishing in the top two and finishing in the top 10. I would just add to that from Anton as well. I agree with you. It, it, those games against those teams around us as ever will kind of define the season a bit like when we're in a relegation battle you need to beat those teams around you 
but it's good to see now that one of the things we didn't do under a senior was put away those those tricky away games against teams that we would kind of expect to beat or go there, you know, like the Lincoln game or or um, the Fleetwood or Morgan game. I always get them mixed up, Chris, as you know. <laughs> you know, would we have won two out of two against Cambridge and Akron Stanley under a senior? Maybe could have done, but you know, if we can see two penalties, I expect that we would have crumbled. Um, so picking up those points is extremely important but Ipswich just lost at home to Lincoln on the weekend so this game isn't this league isn't without its upsets there will be unexpected results but in general I think we've got to be to challenge in the top six and certainly if we want to challenge the top two we've got to be pretty consistent against all the teams really outside of that top 10 I'd say I just I've just got memories I'm just going way back to uh, when we shithoused Ipswich 1-0 away at Portman Road few years back when Chris, Chrissy Martin got the winner. Could happen. Could happen. You know, Dave McGoldrick against his old club. There's a story there to be written, I feel. And, you know, they lost lost at home to Lincoln at the weekend. They're not invincible. And I mean, there was, um, I think of the 11 games in League One at the weekend, there were seven away wins, which you hardly ever see a, a, high, a number as freakishly high as that for away wins in any division. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in the Premier League or the Championship, but it does illustrate that Probably Plymouth aside, like it's a pretty open division. And look, why not us? Why not us? Look at me. I'm feeling optimistic. What's happened? I think the league's pretty open, as you say. Look, Plymouth Argyle are currently running away with it in great form. They've won at least the last five from what I'm looking at on my on my league table here. Peterborough are pretty inconsistent. They don't draw many games. Ipswich have looked really good, but as you said, meant lost at uh, home to Lincoln City. And Sheffield Wednesday, similarly, like are, are looking pretty strong. So it's open, but I think those... The current top five look to me like the the, the teams to beat. And Barnsley have improved a little bit, I think, after a tricky start. So Derby have got the tools to, to at least get into the top six. And they, I think they should be targeting at least getting into the top six. The most disappointing part, Kutch, was that you had planned an away trip to Fratton Park, hadn't you? Until Sky TV intervened. Uh, didn't fancy a sleeper train on the way home back to London or anything? Or no, well, yeah, me, Anton, and Tom had planned. Uh, we'd almost even booked trains, so thankfully we hadn't booked the trains because I was telling Tommy should to book them because I was convinced it wouldn't get picked for <laughs> Friday night. But um, I was also meant to be going to Ipswich away on the Saturday, which obviously got moved to Friday, and I decided to stay in and uh, have a birthday weekend at home rather than at Ipswich. Uh, I might still go to Pompey. I've got family down there, so I might actually go with my girlfriend for a weekend in Portsmouth and see family and pop along to Fratton Park while I'm down there. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Going to leave it there for now, but don't forget to give us a follow on social at Steve Bloomer Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Anton, thanks for coming along. Good to have you back in the mixer. Yeah, cheers, boys. Going to have tequila in my head all week. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Catch a pleasure as always. Tequila in the head, tequila in the mouth. That's what I say. <laughs> Lovely old job. Thanks for listening. See you soon. 